Welcome to Salem First Assembly Podcast. May this week's message by Pastor Brian D. Corkin be a blessing to your life in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's Word, strengthen your faith, and equip you to become all that God has created you to be. Good morning. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you're here. Look at your neighbor, look at your neighbor and say, you are a world changer. Come on. You are a world changer. This morning is a very uh, a topic that I have to tell you the truth that I think all of us suffer with, and that is slump. Have you ever been in a slump? Huh? Yeah, I just feel, and you can know you're in a slump. There's no question about it. So everybody gets in a slump. Everybody. Look at your neighbor and say he's talking to you. <laughs> everybody sometimes gets in a slump. Businesses get into slumps. People get into slumps. Churches get into slumps. I mean, athletes get into slumps. Teams get into slumps, you know. And you know when your team's not doing good and they start losing and then all of a sudden, you know, you, sometimes these fans who are used to be like for this team here and then they start losing and this team's doing really good, they'll, this, oh, that team's in a slump. I'm going to go over to this team because this team's winning. <laughs> that is not what they call a true fan. <laughs> But the problem is that when we're in a slump, we have to be honest. And today, I want to challenge you. It's sort of like a little bit of a brickwork, this this message this morning. I want to challenge you to really examine you. Nobody knows you like the Lord knows you, but the second person after that is you. And whether you're in a slump, you need to ask yourself, what area am I in a slump? Because you can have areas over here where we'll talk about that you just rock. You know what I mean? Look at your neighbor and say, you rock in a lot of areas. Okay? You rock. You do good. But there's other areas that you need to give attention to. And there's those areas. And listen, we're, we're talking about a slump today. We're talking about a spiritual slump. This is important. Because how many know that what happens to you spiritually will, inc- will touch every area of your life? So the problem is when you're in a slump, do you stay there? Oh, well, you know, it is what it is. Can't change it, right? And that'll just face it and embrace it. Or can you really make a difference and change what's in your life? You can't change what's in someone else's life. You can't change uh, anything that someone's close to you, you know? It's like people want to get married and they think, well, I'm going to marry him, Pastor. And I've heard this. I'm going to marry him. And you know what? I know he has a lot of faults and flaws. I'm going to marry her. I know she has a lot of of faults and flaws. But you know what? I'm going to change them. This is what I do. (laughs) Sure. That's not going to work. I'm going to tell you right now. See, change comes from within. And you have to realize when you're in a slump, the person who's going to change it is you is me. So what is a slump? What is a slump? Well, a slump is, and you can write this down, a slump is to fall or decline substantially over a prolonged time or a short time. Because you can get in a slump pretty quickly sometimes just by doing a few things, or it can be so gradual that you don't even know that you're heading in a direction. And so we want to think about this in our spiritual life. Believers find themselves in a slump when they lose focus. Write that down. When I lose focus of who I am and what I am to do. We lose focus 
for what I, who I am and what am I to do. Whenever you lose focus, you lose your direction. It's like driving down the road. You know, take your eyes off the road. You lose focus. Or for me, I'm like, oh, there's deer. Are you there a deer back there? I mean, you know, and I'll point them all out. I see them very easily. They just, they just pop out at me. And then during hunting, they want to run from me. I don't know what the problem is. But you lose your focus on why you're here and what you are to do. Uh, one of the things when you lose your focus, you lose enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. What are you enthusiastic about? Really, ask yourself how many things in life you are enthusiastic about what? Now, if you go and put a list and you ask yourself, what are you enthusiastic about? And you're like, huh, question mark. You need to stop. You need to really think about what you are enthusiastic about. Because these things are important to know who you are and what really makes you click and tick. When you commit to the Lord your life, there should be some enthusiasm there. You have been saved. How many are, how many are saved? And you're on your way to heaven. How many? How many huh? Are you glad? Are you glad? Well, put a smile on your face, huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. But see, that's not all. That's not all. Even though that's all wonderful, we live life. And life happens. And when life happens, we find ourselves slowly going into a slump. And we have to recognize it and see it and then do something about it. When... Your daily participation in prayer or Bible reading or coming to church or small groups or getting involved in ministry at one time with a greater enthusiastic, but now you're not enthusiastic anymore. This really messages for all of us because all of us have expected has been there before. You know what I'm talking about? So today's a really real deal to say, you know what, God, I know where I once was. I know where I am now. What do I have to do in the presence to change. What are you seeing in my life? Now, when you find yourself in a slump, there's only two ways of going here. One, you just yield to it. I am what I am. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. You know what I mean? That's it. You just accept it. Or you actually stop, get alone, and you actually evaluate yourself. You actually have a real heart-to-heart talk with God, and you want to look at where you started and where you are. I remember a man and his wife, they were now in their late 70s, and they were reminiscing a little bit. She said to her, her husband, driving down the road, said, oh, honey, we've been married for a long, long time. It's been really nice. And the man responded, yep, dear, it has. And the woman says, but I've noticed something, though, as we've gotten older, you know, we don't do the things we used to do. You know, when we used to be driving down the road, you'd be sitting next to me, you'd be talking to me, you'd be sharing with me, we'd be side by side. And the man looked over and said, honey, all these days I have not moved. (laughs) Isn't it funny, isn't it funny how we think that God is the one who's moving away from us because of maybe something we have done. Maybe think it around, maybe it's us choosing to to leave what we need to be. And how does that happen? It happens because we face situations and circumstances. We face hardships. We face the winds of the world. The storms of the world that come in and pound us. And all of a sudden we find ourselves not so enthusiastic anymore. Not so much full of viber and, and, and strength. And so a slump happens usually slowly. 
A little lack of strength here, a little lack of strength here, a little lack here, a little lack there. And before you know it, boom, you find yourself at a point where, you know, you're not that excited about anything in life. And you're really in a slump. And you have to say to yourself, you know what, Lord? I am in a slump. Now, you may not be in a slump today. But one day, you might be. This is, I want you to practice this. I want you to practice this. Say, I am in a slump. Now, I'm not professing that over you, okay? I'm just saying sometimes it ha- you have to realize your own life to say, you know, where are you? Are you really spiritually, are you right where God wants you? Do you have this enthusiastic, do you have the desire? Are you doing things because you want to do, because love is the center? Are you doing it because, well, it's just routine now, routine. We can fall into a rut of routine without the heart ever being involved. And you could do some good stuff. And I'll be honest with you, pastors are the number one people of doing great stuff and sometimes missing the main thing. Because they're so busy doing things that they're not busy being what they need to be. First, relationship with God. It's, God's not concerned about what you do for him if he doesn't have your heart. You see? And so God wants all of you. He wants that relationship. Matter of fact, he wants you more than what you can do for him. Because honestly, people, God can do anything he wants. He can get it done. Trust me, God can get it done with you or without you. But once you have that relationship, God chooses to do it through you. Why is that? Relationship. It's just a beautiful thing. Look at your neighbor and say, you're so beautiful. (laughs) So... The truth of the matter is when you look at a slump, if any of you know and you work with cement, they have what they call a slump test. Now, when I first was looking at slump, I said to myself, hey, you know what? A slump test? I would love to take it until I learned it was all about cement. So I learned all about cement doing a slump test. And what you do is simply take a cone that you have outside, like an orange cone. They have a special tool. It's made of metal. But they fill a cone up, and they fill the whole cone up with cement. And then they fill it up, top it up, and pull it up. And then they measure how far the cement goes down. Then they take a measurement to see how far many inches. That tells you the workability, how, how long it's going to take before it sets, and all type of information. And it's very important by the foundations you're doing. And so it's a slump test. And it tells you how it's been mixed. Now think about this. If you and I right now, God put us under a slump test. Huh? I know, right? Kind of scary a little. Let's be honest. God put you under a slump test. How would you score? Huh? We don't know, right? We don't know. We want to say I scored pretty good. How many times you take a test, right? You take a test and you're like, how'd you do? I don't know. I think I did good. And you let the, you're like, huh? What? I got that wrong? No way. That happened to me a lot. <laughs> but the truth of the matter, it's far easier to get yourself into a slump than to get yourself out. So you want to be proactive as soon as you catch yourself going there. So how... Do we get out of the spiritual slumps of life? How do we stop thinking a certain way, being a certain way? How do we allow our conditions around us to dictate our attitude, dictate our joy, dictate how we feel? How, how, do, we, how do we do that? How do we actually 
live in such a way where we don't allow what's around us to really affect us negatively and kind of suck us dry. You know what I'm trying to say? Someone nods your head like, yeah, I know exactly what you're trying to say. I say, okay, all right. <laughs> let's take a journey. And let's go to the book of Revelation and let's learn a little bit here from God's perspective. From God's perspective. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. And the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words to him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds and your hard work and your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Yet I have this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstone from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat of the tree of life, which is in paradise of God. Wow. This is a powerful portion of Scripture because, you see, we're going to look today at a good church. This church could have been a model church. They were doing some incredible good things. Some would say good things. And yet, God just didn't look at the things they were doing good. But he was looking at the heart of the matter because that's the matter of the heart. I really want to challenge you today. It's not what you do. It's why and how we do it. It's the reason what causes us to do the things we do. When you get up in the morning, let me just show a sign of hands. How many of you love coffee? Mm -hmm. You better put your hand up, buddy. Come on. Yeah. yeah, we know the truth. Let's try that again so everybody can be honest. How many people love coffee? <laughs> So when you get up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? Or unless you have it already timed, we'll leave that one alone. But what's the first thing you do? Coffee. Why? Why do you put the coffee on? Because you want a cup of coffee. You don't want to admit it, but you're an addict. <laughs> you want a good cup of coffee. Now watch this. Because you love coffee, like coffee, let's go with like coffee. Because you like coffee, you go right to the coffee and, you, and, you, and your day don't stop. I've heard this so many times. Listen, don't talk to me to my first cup. Hold on, hold on. You should be patient. <sighs> yes, how may I help you? <laughs> <laughs> so you're motivated by something you really like. Well, the same thing in life. God wants you to do what you do because you really like to do it. Not because, well, I kind of have to, right? Kick the rock down the street. I mean, come on. That's not what you want from somebody, but that's not what God wants from us either. And so here's the church of Ephesus doing some really, really good things. When a church is doing good things, when you, the church, doing good things, listen to what happens. Write this down. This is good stuff. Worship becomes real rather than routine. Worship becomes real Versus routine. You know, just going through the motion. Song comes on, raise my hand. But there's not a connection. There's not a high. It can't be routine. Routine will destroy real worship. Two, prayer becomes 
powerful rather than powerless. You see, you have to recognize that when you pray, you're believing God's going to do this. When you're connected to God, you're going to be believing in your prayer, not just praying and then, you know, going through the motion. Number three, outreach becomes effective rather just a mere effort that you have to do. I have to share that. I, I got, hold on. I got to share Jesus with that person. Give me a moment. <laughs> what? I know that would never come out of your mouth. I know that. But it has. Those are just things I've heard over the process of time. <laughs> How about this one? People become loving rather than lethargic. You see, this is what happens when we really get an enthusiastic relationship with God. It becomes a joy that is contagious. You ever been around a contagious person who's joyful? Hmm? I mean, isn't it great? Don't you just want a dose of them having a bad day? I'm gotta, I gotta just going to be around this person. You know what I mean? You just want to laugh. Oh, how about a person who has a great attitude and they're always laughing or telling great jokes? <laughs> yeah, okay, well, let's move on fast. You see, hey, listen, wait, hold on. I got it, I got it. The other day, <laughs> the other day, I was, saw this guy playing Scrabble on his car and the wind came and knocked his Scrabble right off the, the, the hood onto the, onto the ground. And I, I felt bad for the guy. But then I went up to him and said, hey, playing Scrabble, right? I said, what's the word on the street? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So when it comes to the church, when it comes to the church, you and I need to really look at what we're doing, but why we're doing it. Let's look at verse two and three. This is Jesus giving the commendation of things well done. Someone say well done. And this is good. This is the point. Look what it says. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Now watch this. Let's look at a few S's here. Let's, look what, let's learn something from them doing something good. Something good. God's saying you are doing good in this area. First of all, their service. They're serving God. They're doing what they're supposed to do. What are they doing? I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. I know your work. The hard work here in the original language actually is saying that it's not just working, but they're working until it's done. They're sweating. It's hard, but their mind is set. They're going to finish what they started. You ever ran across someone? It could be late, but they're not ending the work until it's done. They're like, I'm in it to win it, and I'm not stomping. Yeah, but the, the food's getting cold. I don't care. I got to finish this thing. You see, hard work. They're working hard when everybody else wants to give up and like, oh, my legs hurt. Suck it up, buttercup. Let's go. Work it. Come on. <laughs> see, they're, they're serving. These are, this is what it's saying. They're working hard. And their deeds are good. Service. And then they're steadfast. I know your perseverance. They're not quitting when it gets tough. They're not quitting when it's hard. They're per persevering it. You know, they're pushing it through. Sometimes we have to push. Pray until something happens. You push it through. They're steadfast. And then they stand up strong. They're standing strong. I know you cannot tolerate wicked men. They're standing against oppositions, against Doctrines that are wrong and they're standing up for what is right. Just like what we're trying to do. Standing up for what is right. Not just 
being a dead fish going downstream. So there are services there that are steadfast, they're, they're standing, they're selective in who teaches and who influences. It says, I know you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. So they are selective who's going to be an influence over other people. They're, they're saying, ah, this person claims to be this. Well, let's really find out if that's who they are. They're not just letting anybody do anything. They're, they're, they know it's important. This is the big one right here. This is the big one. This is where a lot of us, we have problems. They're suffering, and they're not growing weary. I know you have persevered and have endured hardship for my name. Get that? Jesus is saying, I know you have persevered. I know you have so many people coming against you, but you haven't grown weary. You've done good. Someone say, done good. This church is a great model. From the outside, it looks good. Sometimes we as believers can look so good on the outside. Honestly, that's not what God wants. God wants the inside. The inside is so important. Now, don't get me wrong. Everything that they're doing is great. May we be a church that does the same thing. They're doing good. But this is where things change. This is where things change. It challenges us as a church, as as people, because God's looking at the heart. He's not always looking at, we look at, look at that, and look at that. Look at this person. Look what they have. Look at how big this is. Look how wonderful that is. And it's good. It's all true. It's all true. But one day, it's all going to be tested by the motive in which people done things. The motive. See, God sees the heart. He's always seen the heart. We'll talk about this in a second. Look at verse 4 and 5. Because now Christ brings condemnation to the church of Ephesus. Yet, even though you've done all this good thing, yet I hold this against you. And this is where it changes. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place. Now, I want you to get this. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And God says, yeah, you're doing all of this, but you've missed something. You miss me. He doesn't make sense, does it? We can do so many things, but we miss the biggest part. It's like... um, I don't know. I, I just learned this the other day, but uh, when I do cook, I know you're going to laugh at that, but I can, I can cook, okay? I just I don't like it. And, but I learned the other day you can substitute some things for other things. So if you want to stay away from this element, you can then put this element in or ingredient in, and you can substitute some things. And it's really interesting, but when it comes to spiritual, you can't substitute Jesus. You can't put anything else in there to try to fill in the gap. It may work at some baking for a little bit of health purposes, but when it comes to spiritual, spiritual growth, spiritual development, you can't miss Jesus. He's the key. Because this church has service, they're steadfast, they're standing strong, they're selective, they're suffering, and yet they have a heart problem. Now listen, heart disease still is the number one killer. Heart disease is nothing to fool around with. But spiritual heart disease is a major killer. And we need to ask ourselves, God, am I serving you because of what you can give me? Am I serving you because I want you to do something for me? Or am I serving you because, God, I so love you? This is the key. Look, look at this. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10, it says, I am the Lord, searches the heart, 
and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Here it is. The Lord says, I examine the heart. I search the heart. I examine the mind. Watch this now. In the soul, you have the heart and the mind. You have the emotions and you have the intellect working together so that great things take place. God sees both the emotion and the intellect. Knowing what is true, then loving what is true. Then doing what is right. You see how that works? So when you have the intellect without the emotional love, you only have one part of the equation of what's true worship to God really is. And in order for us to really worship and love God, you need the intellect and you need the emotion. Both together makes the power of service and of ministry and worship to God. Now, I don't know about you, but I was thinking, the word forsaken, <laughs> it's not just like I hear sometimes a version will say leave, willfully leave. But, but, but the, word, the, the word here, forsaken, actually goes deeper because it is a turn away so that we can become so work-oriented because it's right, forgetting why we're doing it in the begin with. You ever do that sometimes? You're doing things just because you're doing things. You forgot the reason why you're doing what you do. And you want to know why your joy factor is low. Because you forgot who you are and what you're supposed to do. You forgot who you are and what you're supposed to do. This is where Jesus needs to be at the forefront because he will help you in that area. You know, I'll I'll be honest with you and stuff. I know a little bit about this because I've lived a little bit of this. And, And as I live this, you start to apply some things to your life. And you say, you know what, God? Your ways, and this is great, but listen, listen to this. Your ways are right. (laughs) You ever had that moment where you just say, okay, God, I finally get it. And you're like, why did it take me so long? You know, look at your neighbor and say, he's not talking to me, he's talking to you. (laughs) This is amazing. I love this story found in 1 Samuel chapter 16, 6 and 7, talking about the heart. God's always looking at the heart. You know the story. Uh, Saul has really messed up as king. God has found another king, uh, King David. We're going to do a David series. It's in the making. And, um, and then we're going to go to Sight and Sound and see David, the life of David. So that's going to be at the end of the series. So that's, I'm looking forward to that there um, in time to come. I've been wanting to do a David series for a long time. I just, I've been falling in love with the character who David was as a man of God. Let me move on because it gets a little tempting. <laughs> Oh, I hate that. Samuel chapter 16, 6 and 7 says this. He says this. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eli and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stand here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have, listen to this strong word, I have rejected him. Wow. Huh? Rejected him as a person? No, 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 no. Rejected him as a king. He didn't have what God was looking for. Not rejected for anything else, but he was not the one to do that work. You see what I'm saying? There are some times when God says, no, you're not the one. You don't say, oh. No, no, God has a work for you. He has a work that someone else can't do. You see? But Eliab, though he looked like a military soldier, though he looked like he had strong character, 
You get to know a little bit later that him and David didn't necessarily get along too good. But I will tell you this. Look what God says. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, but the Lord looks at the what? The Lord looks at the what? This is nothing new for the church of Ephesus. God's always looking at the heart. He will always look at the heart because the heart is the heart of the matter. You see, God wants you more than what you can do for him. He just wants you. Listen, listen. He's just crazy about you. Tell your neighbor he's just crazy about you. You see, this is, this is something else that I want to show you here. From, I love this portion of scripture from the Matthew. Because they forsake their first love. But look at Jesus' words in Matthew 22, 34. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they themselves gathered together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which commandment is the greatest in the law? Jesus declared, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 613 laws. God says, you know what? I'm going to bring them down to two. Love God with everything. Love others like you love yourself. Is that not profound? I mean, my jaw just drops down. And I just goggle on sand. I'm just like, ah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. How about if let's take, let's take a test today, right? We all fail right there, right? Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. You see how much God wants the heart? Well, how do we get there? It's a process of wanting to get there. That's all it is. How hungry are you? Are you hungry as a hippo? Are you hungry to get to know God? How much time you spend just getting to know God? How much time do we spend in the Word? Not because we have to. But it's a joy to hear the breath of God speak to us. Think about that. Next time you're in your Bible, stop thinking, I've got to read this book. But instead, think of it this way. Lord, I just want to hear your breath speak to me. I just want, because that's what it is. The Word of God is God's breath to you. And it will come just when you need it. Because He's the lifter of our hearts. And he's looking at your heart. But you have to participate. You have to really look to God. God is, says to us, the second commandment is love thy neighbor. Some of us go, uh-uh, not my neighbor. Not my neighbor. I'll love my neighbor. Good, 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 skip, good, skip, good. <laughs> Lord, how about we love most of our neighbors? Not bad, 80% of them. Pretty good, Lord. And that's not what God says, though. Love thy neighbors across the board. Okay? And I'll tell you what, if you have a neighbor that's tough to love, then you have ministry in front of you. You have ministry in front of you. Because therefore, you have to be a Jesus, a book that I've never read yet. And it's the toughest thing in the world to do. But I've lived that one too. And you know what? You always feel good when you do the right thing at the right time. You see, you don't... You don't just get there, but you have to want to get there. You know, when we lose our love for God or we choose to forsake our love as a church or as a people, we see things are affected. 
See, doing the right thing is important to be effective. You want to be effective? Do it right. Do it right. I, I don't know about you, but when we go through a slump, we don't always know how it happens. So how do we get into a slump? There's a couple things here that I want to talk about that I think is important. Because it's a slippery slope. And things erode. I like to look at slumps as erosions that take place. I did a whole paper when I was in uh, graduate school about erosion. Because I learned so much stuff about erosion because there's two types of erosion. Really, there's more than two types, but I want to just deal with two types. And they're simple types. They're sudden erosion and progressive erosion. Now, the sudden erosion, everybody, everybody, everybody's seen it, right? Floods come, it wipes away all your grass, all your seed, or you're on the ocean and it wipes away everything. It's a storm. A storm erodes. We have storms in our life that erodes us. It affects us negatively because of a storm we went through. Something happened, something hard, something difficult, something didn't go the way we wanted it to go. It's hard. And those storms can erode us in our enthusiasm, in our joy, uh, in a lot of areas of our life. Or it can be so gradual, really, really slow. I, I give three S's for this gradual erosion. First, the erosion, spiritual erosion, is slow. It's silent and it's subtle. It's slow, it's silent, and it's subtle. You don't even know it. Matter of fact, if you're one routine and you have routines in your life, you get on a routine, you don't even realize how far you're really going because you're on your routine. You know, I got 10 minutes here and 20 minutes here. I have my cup of coffee. I have my real, real devotion. Da, da, da. And you just do that every single day. There's not a, it's routine. Did you know routine is not relationship? Don't get me wrong. I know some of you are yelling at me because you are so, that's your temperament. It's so easy for you to get on a routine. Those are not bad. But just remember, a routine is not relationship if you don't include the... Yes! You see, it has to be, your routine has to have a heart to it, not just the function. You have to remember this. And not too far away from here, is a true story and a great example how erosion happens. There is a lighthouse that used to be in Cape Henelopen, Delaware. The lighthouse was critical to the Philadelphia shipping industry. This is going back a few years. And they took an excellent care of this lighthouse for many, many years. It weathered storms and hurricanes. It provided light and a safe passage to the ships coming through. But it took them... Decades to realize that all of these storms were deteriorating the very cliff that the lighthouse was on. And when they finally realized that the cliff was being eroded away, they knew they had to act. Well, while they're trying to figure out what they can do, another storm came and the whole lighthouse came crashing to the ground. Now think about this. What the enemy of your soul wants to do is erode things in your life in such a way where you don't even know that they're hitting you. That it's just the enemy is constantly bombarding and eroding, 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 slowly, silently, subtly. And before you know it, it's trying to attack the very foundation of your life. A lighthouse, strong, stands in the winds and the storms and a hurricane, guiding and bringing safety. That very thing crashed. 
because they didn't catch the erosion in time. Even though they caught it, they didn't catch it in time because it was the next massive storm that came. It crashed. The same thing can happen to you and I that I want to try to help you to stop sometimes in life and don't get so busy. Then stop yourself and say, you know what? Am I in a slump, a spiritual slump? And if I am, watch this. Here it is. Write this down. What am I going to do? Did you hear that pronoun I used? Not what other people are going to do for me. What, what other people have to do for me. What am I going to do? Take ownership. This is the beautiful. If you're going to write a statement down with this section, this is where you have to suck it up, buttercup. Right there. Right there. This is where you really have to say, what am I going to do? I'm not going to blame it on anybody. I'm not going to look for excuses. How am I going to change, God? What do you need to change in me? We'll talk about that in a second. You see, when a church of God or people of God lose or leave or forsake their first love, I guarantee you, you will not love people. You can't. You can't love people when you're not loving God. You can't. The only way, listen, listen, listen. The only way you can love people is to really get the heart of God. What did he do on the cross while you were a rascal? Hmm? While you were a sinner? You say, well, I wasn't there, Pastor. I'm not that old. <laughs> yeah, you were. Because you're still a rascal, only for the grace of God. Jesus says, Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them. Who is he forgiven? He's forgiven the very ones that falsely accused him, for they know not what they do. While we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died on the cross. You want to talk about love? Loving people? See, the Bible says we, it's, anybody can love those that love you, but can you love those that are not loving you? See? Can you love those like Jesus loved you even while you were doing your own thing? You see, love is the key to really worshiping God and changing you. It's not what other people do. I can guarantee it's not what other people do. It's what you do. It's your choice. It's your decision. It's your choice to love. It's love from your heart. That's what, that's what it's all about. Direct connection to God is a direct connection to your neighbor. That's why God commanded Love thy neighbor as yourself. But before that, love thy God with all that's in you. Because you can't love others until you really fall in love with your God. Look at your neighbor and say, that's really good. (laughs) You see, the Ephesians were effectively removing their ability to impact the world because they were doing the works and doing well. But their effectiveness was limited because they forgot the one they were doing it with. They forgot the Lord. So what, what's, what's the solution? What's the solution? What's the divine? Someone say divine solution. Divine. See, this is, this is we, need, we can come up with many solutions in life. But let's, let's ask what God says that we can do. First of all, the divine solution. The first one is the church. And when I say church, we're talking about who's the church? We are. Okay. We need to remember. Verse 5 says, Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So the Lord says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to remember. What do you want me to remember, Lord? I want you to remember the first time you found me. I want you to remember the first time you were excited about 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to remember that very moment where your eyes became open and you started to see that there was a God, a God that lives and a God that works and a God that has created all things. I I want you to understand that first time that you had that aha moment where all of a sudden you said, oh God, you're with me. You're in me. And you want to work through me? What? Me? Am I the only person that ever said that? I didn't think so. You say, so you're, you're just excited. You have that enthusiasm. You're starting to, you're so excited. And then when you're asked to do something for God, <laughs> you're like a little kid. <laughs> me? You want me to do that? I, I remember the time I just got saved. God worked fast when he finally worked in me. And all of a sudden, I found myself being asked to fill a youth position when I didn't even know what youth position meant. What, what is that youth position? I was like, duh. I mean, I knew nothing. And they said, we'd like you to work with the youth until we find a youth pastor. And I'm like, hey, if I can help, I'm your man. And so I started working with them and I fell in love with them. And it was just kind of funny because I never, ever expected to, you know, do that. I just, I was just so happy God saved me, you know. Have you ever been there? He's like, I can't believe it. He picked me. He picked me. You know? And I was just so happy. And when someone asked me to do something, I'm like, oh, that means I can do something for him. Yes, he's done so much for me. And now he'll use me to help them as I serve him. What a story, right? But do you remember how excited you were? And then all of a sudden now you're in the church for a little while. Excuse me. Now we've been now we've been in the church sometime. <laughs> you see, <laughs> we got to be careful. We got to be careful that we don't get to a point where we say, "Boy, you know, when I was younger, hmm, yeah, I, I had a lot more enthusiasm." Yeah, you know what? You know, let me ask that question: Am I better today, more excited for Jesus than I was when I first got saved? You know, in a marriage, if a marriage is not healthy, and you ask them, are things better now with us than we when we first got married? I guarantee the spouses would look at each other and say, <laughs> and if they do that, why would they do that? They would do that because life has happened. Things have taken place. All this is going on. And we've lost the attention. We've lo- we got distracted. And there's some erosion taking place at the foundation. And it affects the foundation. And so you, now you have to really ask the tough questions. And then, then you have to say, well, you know what? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're nowhere where we used to be. Remember we used to laugh all the time? You, you remember when we used to actually like each other? Well, yeah, we're not the same. So the next question that they have to ask is, so what are we going to do about it? See, that's what I'm talking about. This is what God's telling them. I want you to remember. I want you to remember about your relationship. I want you to remember when you first got saved. I want you to remember why you did what you did when you first started ministering, when you started caring for others, when you started loving others, when you started loving me, so therefore you loved others. Not just doing it, but really caring about it. This is really important. Luke 15, 17. 
is a beautiful picture of the, of the, the prodigal son. Remember what happens? So he says, Dad, I want all my inheritance. I want to go and do my own thing. So, God, so, the, so he gets all this money, goes and has a wild life, does what he wants, runs out of money. And here is a Jewish man in a pig pen feeding the pigs. That alone is a story. And then it says this, and then he remembered. Then he remembered about his father's house. Then he remembered about his father's servants and how they're treated even better than where he is. He remembered what he had. And when he remembered, it changed the way he thought and then it changed his direction. If you don't remember where you started and you don't want to go back there, you're not, you can really help yourself by saying to yourself, am I better today than I was yesterday? Or better than this, better than where I was when I first knew Jesus. Am I, am I still in love with Jesus? It should be more and more and more. It's a process of relationship. Let's look at something else that I think is important. The second one. Jesus says this, remember the height in which you have fallen. He says this, repent. Repent and do the things that you did at first. You see what that means is that, you remember when you were just following the Lord and you made a mistake. Let's go way back there. Maybe this is not you. Let me tell you a story. When I was younger, I swore like everybody else did and I just got saved. And so now, Ephesians says, you know, do not let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth, only which is good and edifying for the hearer. Well, if you curse someone out, that's probably not edifying. You know, I'm just saying. So here I am saved, you know, and I'm hanging around with a bunch of people who just also cursing all the time. And so all of a sudden, I'm trying to watch my language and trying to change in the way I speak with all these guys all the time. Because I worked with a crew um, of people, and, um, and so one day I slipped, and I said a swear, and they all did this, welcome <gasps> swear, and this is, it was so funny, they're swearing like crazy, and anybody do anything there? No, but I swear, it seemed like I just created a cure for an unknown disease or something, I, and so I said, I'm sorry, Lord, and I'm sorry, guys, uh, for my slip up there, and I just went on. I didn't make it a big deal. They made it a big deal. I didn't pay attention to them. And I just went on. I I want you to know, there's there's things that we have to just repent for. When we're new in the Lord and we make a mistake, we're so quick. We're so quick. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I kind of lost my cool today. Or, Lord, I said something I shouldn't. We're, We're so quick to keep the account short. But after a while, you do something enough, you can be harsh with people, you can say insensitive things to people, you can say things you know you hurt people by your thing, and you don't even apologize for it anymore. How does a person at one point care about our words we use to others and get to a point where they can still call themselves a Christian and, and use terrible words? Listen, I see this all the time. How does that happen? Erosion. Erosion. So, the Lord's saying, listen, you need to remember... You need to remember what happened, how you were in the beginning, and how you trusted, how you walked. Then you need to repent and then do the things. No, well, let's I don't get ahead here. But do the things like you need to do. Now, this is important for all of us. All of us to learn. All of us. The third step that I think we need to do is 
return. Return. Get back to the way things were. Get back. Oh, never mind. Um, just broke out in song there. <laughs> but think about it. How were you excited? Get excited again about Jesus. You know, there's a commercial about Kellogg's Rice Krispies. Taste them again. Maybe, maybe you just need to taste the goodness and greatness of God again. And remember all the miracles that he's done in your life. To overcome it, remember where you were. How you hungered. How you desired. How you just wanted to spend time in his presence. Because when you stop desiring to spend time in his presence, you stop growing. This leads to the fourth step to overcoming the slump. That is, the church needs to listen to the divine warning. It says this in verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That goes to you and I. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I want you to think about this. If God is going to speak to you through his word or through his voice or through whatever way he chooses to speak, and he has many ways to speak to us, are we going to listen? Listening to what God has to say, if we say, God, speak to me, and God says something that you don't really crazy to like to hear, okay? And, and that happens. You know, God, what should I do about this situation? And God says, well, I want you to go talk to him and say sorry. It's not my fault. Why should I say sorry? It's not my fault. Have anybody have a conversation like that? Huh? How come I always have to be the one, God? Why is it me all? Mm, mm, mm. Real life? Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. We, after God speaks to us, we're like, man, I wish I would have not said nothing to him. Then I wouldn't have to do something. Now I'm accountable to the divine voice to listen. But the bottom line is that's where you grow. That's where you grow. So there's a promise. I love the couple promises here that I'm going to leave you with. And if you have a pen, pencil, write this down. Because the promise to those who overcome. Look what God says. The first scripture is 1 John 5, 4 and 5. It says this. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You want to become an over overcomer? You want to overcome the slump? You want to overcome the situation, whatever you're facing? Listen, you've got to be real and honest to yourself. You've got to be honest. And to be honest is two-faced. Honest with yourself and honest to hear what the Word of God is saying to us. Because if you really want to grow and you really want to know, you have to listen to the divine voice. That's how you become an overcomer. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. So, what has God told you to do? What area of ministry? What area of helping someone else? How are you going to bless his name? As you keep him at the center of your heart. I love this one. Romans 8.37. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who love us. Anybody want to give a shout to God on that one? We're more than conquerors? 
We're not just conquerors. We'll go a little bit into that one. Watch this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present or the future or powers, neither height or death, nor anything else in all creation, in all creation will be able, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Wow. First John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one that's in the world. You see, when you find yourself in a slump, you understand you don't have to go through the slump by yourself. Isn't that great? You have a God that's with you. Here's the last one. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, when you look at a slump, you have to recognize, one, I'm in one. you got to know it. Two, you can't deny it. Three, got to go through the process that the Ephesian church had to go through. You have to simply remember, wow, I remember where I used to have a more enthusiasm for God. Oh, and then you need to repent. You just, God, forgive me. I kind of got away from you. It's it's okay to to have that moment to say, God, I've actually made it more about me than I made it about you. We're talking about worship on on Wednesday evenings and getting into worship. And it's been a great time and great, just a wonderful moment of, of just understanding what worship really is. And it really is all about God. It's really not, has nothing to do with what song, has nothing to do with what we want. It's the audience of one. Someone say the audience of one. Say, I don't know where you are today, but I will tell you this. God wants to get you out of your slump. And it only takes one thing to happen. You to want to get out of your slump. That's it. That's it. Whatever slump you're in, you just need to recognize your God is greater than where you are. So let's do this real quickly. Those watching online, listen, is there a slump? To you here today, is there a slump in your life? What area? Just close your eyes for a moment. Ask the Spirit of God just to speak to your heart. What area, spiritual area? Listen, listen. You know, when you first get saved, people were in church all the time. When the doors were open, all of a sudden they've been in church. Now, you know, now they're down to one time a week and sometimes not even that. Maybe sporadic. What happened? What happened to the enthusiasm? What happened about putting God first? What happened about... I started out, and I used to be a, a giver. I give. I, I did. What and all of a sudden, you get to a point where I don't know if God can take care of me now. See, I, we have to really think about where our spiritual slumps are. What are these areas where over here, I live by faith. Now, all of a sudden, you get to a point where you have a little bit more sustenance, and you're like, oh, you know, God, I'm a little concerned about the future. Over here, you knew God had your future. Over here now, you're like, oh, God, I don't know. Over here, you'll give anything he wanted, do anything he wanted. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. Over here, well, Lord, I, you know, I kind of really like nice weather. I really, really, really like, you know, nice neighbors. They have all this list. Don't get me wrong. I'm not against the list. But we're talking about the heart of saying, God, here I am. Here I am. And the first thing you need to do is give your life to Jesus Christ. The second thing you have to do is ask God to help you. So what area in your life right now that you can say that you're in a spiritual slump? What area? Just ask God, the sweetness of the Spirit of God, just to ask you. Because this is where it happens. This is where it happens. What area that you've seen a change? 
What area where you lean more upon your own understanding versus what God would say? Here's the church of Ephesus. All of these good things, and yet God says, you're missing it. We would say, what? Look what they've done. Come on now. No, no. They got into a routine. They got into the duty aspect. They lost the delight. Where area have you lost your delight? In the service of God because of who he is, not what he can do for us. Maybe you're watching. What area? What area is spiritual? What's, what's really dragging you down? What's really affecting you? Where do you feel there's a slump in your life that's really preventing you from becoming all that God wants? Now, as you just ponder a moment with these thoughts, I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit just to speak to your hearts. Hearts that want to hear are hearts that tune in. If you really want to hear what God has to say, you have to talk to Him. You have to ask Him. It's relational. It's not religion. It's relation. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're here today and Jesus is not your Savior. You haven't done that first step of accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus came because He loved you. And one day you're going to stop breathing and eternity is going to be a home. Either you're going to be with God or without God. There is a hell and there is a heaven. These are two real places. And where we spend eternity is our choice. Nobody's choice but ours. But if you want to spend your eternity with Jesus Christ, the one who has done so much that loves you, just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Forgive me. I've sinned. I've sinned with my attitude. I've sinned with my choices. And today I ask you to completely take my life. I surrender my life to you. I believe you died on the cross. And the third day you rose again. And I want to follow you. I choose you today to love you more than anything else. I accept Jesus as my Savior. Just say it. I accept Jesus as my Savior. All of us here, just say, I accept Jesus as my Savior. It's a beautiful relationship that God wants in you and through you. Let me pray for you. Father, we are so grateful for who you are and all that you do. Lord, will you draw our hearts ever so close to you? Father, will you help us, Lord, to really ask the questions, to really examine ourselves, and that you, Lord, speak to our hearts so that we may grow in you to become all that you want, to do service for you from our hearts, to love you and to love others because, Lord, you loved us. Now, Lord... Use each one here to do great exploits as they, Lord, give it their lives to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, those that raised, those that had something that God spoke to you of a slumping, right where you are, raise your hand. Just raise your hand right where you are. Yeah? Raise it up there. Keep it high. Don't be afraid. We're all going to slumps. Okay? Don't, so, so we'll go like this. Little slump, big slump. No, no. Stand to your feet. I believe the acknowledgement of where we are real because we're going to be in different places at different times and different circumstances and situations come in our life. It's a journey. It's a journey. And it's good to examine ourselves. It's a journey. Got to be honest. Sometimes it's not all way where we like it to be. And that's okay. Someone say that's okay. It was okay for each of the disciples to have their moments. Look at our, our brother Peter, how many times he had some moments? How about our brother Jonah, how many times he had some moments? I mean, there's a lot of individuals that had a lot of moments. 
But isn't it great to see your God still come in the midst of the moments, do the miraculous work? This is your God. So those that the Lord spoke to a certain area in your life, raise your hand one more time. One more time. Okay, 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 okay. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for all of us. Two, either you're in a slump or down the line you might end up in a slump. Just remember, it happens slowly if you're not paying attention. Things that take place in our life can happen suddenly or progressively. Silent, subtle. But let's be aware, for the enemy of our soul is like a lion prowling around, saying he may, who he may devour. And he'll always attack the foundation because it's the foundation that everything stands. That's why it's so important, so important to make sure that we listen to the spirit of the living God and that we want more of his spirit in our life. Amen. A sensitivity to his spirit, his way, his word. Lift your hands to heaven. Father, we are so grateful for who you are. And now, Lord, we ask for those hands that were risen before you, Lord, that you have placed an area where there's in us a spiritual slump. God, I pray right now, they declare before you that they're ready to ask the questions. They're ready to hear what you desire to speak. Father, I pray that you would minister to them right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray right now that you would touch each family represented here. Lord, that you would establish your strength, your power, your grace your mercy upon each family and that you would join them ever so close, tighter together. Father, we give you this day. We ask that you would now touch us and help us as we seek you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we thank you for joining us today. Let's continue to believe that God is going to do a work in all of our lives and in his church, despite our current circumstances. If you would like to support the ministry of Salem First Assembly, you can do so by mailing to 430 Route 45, Salem, New Jersey, 08079, or by visiting our website at salemfirstag.org. Please join us for service next Sunday at 1030 a.m., or you can watch service every Sunday afternoon on Facebook at Salem First Assembly or YouTube at Salem First AG. You can also listen to the message every Tuesday on Podbean. Have a blessed rest of your day. Let's remember to be a blessing and that life is living in faith every day.